Galatians 5. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus and the good news, the gospel of your grace. We ask this morning as we meditate upon your word and worship you in your word that we would allow your spirit to have his way in us, that we would stand firm in Christ and on and in nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen. My daughter likes a game on her little digital device. It's called Six. The goal of the game is to keep that hexagon from falling off the side of the tower that is composed of tiles of various shapes. Can you see the different tiles? It's kind of like a different form of Tetris, but you're trying to keep this hexagon on it. She's ridiculously good at it. And she has tried to coax me on numerous occasions to play this ridiculous game. And on the few occasions that I have, you know, tried to do it, and I'm kind of impatient, pressing the stone. The hexagon always falls off really soon. My best score at one point was like 1,000, okay? Pretty good. Try it. Bet I bet beat your best score. Uh, one time we actually went to a, a hockey game, and she wanted me to try it again. So, like, I'm trying to, like, her, her best score at that time was 13,000-something-or-other ridiculousness. It's like a hockey game going on, like something that's actually interesting, and I'm doing this. <laughs> and finally, I got it to like my high score. I was so proud of myself, like 1,400. And she was... The last time I saw her high score, it was over 21,000. I happen to like games that have a definitive winner and a loser. You play a game of football, one team wins, the other team loses. Um, There's a sense of completion with this. With the game six, as good as Lexi is, and she's probably the world's best six player, probably not, but it seems like it, it always ends the same way. The dumb hexagon falls off the side and you lose. You might feel like you won, but the game's over. And it ended with you failing. In a much more serious matter, the law of God functions much like this. If you could, in theory, keep God's law for 24 hours, for two days, for two weeks... For two years, for 20 years, as soon as you violate it, game over, you lose. If our relationship with God were only law-based, we would reside in a constant state of fear, condemnation, and failure. Paul's been trying to remind the Galatians and us that our spiritual life did not begin through the law. The law doesn't make us spiritual. But our spiritual life began by God's gracious work, by his spirit, based upon the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. 
He has been warning us not to view our standing with God based upon a system of law-keeping or works-based righteousness. I want you to look in Galatians just at a couple of passages to remind ourselves of this emphasis in the the letter of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, please. Galatians 3, 13. Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us, by being condemned for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit. How? Through faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. The the law is such a burden to us. uh, if, If we're allowed, if we're causing or looking at the law as a way of us gaining approval and pleasure of God, it is such a curse to us. But Christ became a curse for us to remove that curse from us. And with that removal of a curse, there's an addition of something special. His righteousness and the blessed Holy Spirit. Look at the same chapter, Galatians 3. Look at verses 24 through 26. So then the law was our guardian, our teacher, until Christ came, in order that we might be justified, how? By faith. But now that faith has come, the the fullness of our faith has arrived. It's not just uh, a seedling of something to look forward to, but the fullness of our faith has arrived in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We don't need the teacher anymore. It taught us what we needed to know, that we needed Christ. Verse 26, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God. How? Through faith. He's emphasizing this again and again. Now in chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, Paul writes this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were, past tense, under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is good news. At the end of chapter 4, Paul convinced us that we are not, we are not children of the slave woman. We are not children of the slave woman. That is representative of a works-based religion or, or following the law to, to attain God's pleasure. But we are children of the free woman, representative of the gospel that provides us with a perfect standing with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So now, as we get to chapter 5, Paul continues his convincing argument. If you are a Bible believer, if you believe that the Bible is inspired of God, and you're following along with Paul's argument, you are absolutely convinced, and this section will continue convincing you. The first point we want to understand from Galatians 5, in this first section, is that we are called to stand firm in the freedom of, Provided by Jesus Christ. 
we are charged, we are commanded, stand firm in the freedom that is provided by Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1, please. For freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Can you see the emphasis of that one short sentence? He uses the same word, one in a verb tent, verb form, and the other in a noun form. He set us free so that we would be free. So the question might be asked and should be asked, free from what? Well, that answer is throughout the pages of Scripture. We'll just kind of get a little, a little taste of it for the next couple of minutes. First of all, free from the law of sin and death. From Romans chapter 8, we've been freed from the law that produces death and the law that reveals our sin. Does that mean that the law has no place in our life? That's not what it means. The law still reveals our sin. The law still reveals the righteousness of God. When I violate the law of God, I recognize that something is out of order. The law is not defunct. It is not, it is not set aside and, and not cared about. The law just doesn't make me right with God. It reveals my sin. It condemns me until I see the rescue that's found in Jesus Christ. So the freedom is freedom from the law as a taskmaster. Secondly, freedom from sin. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 18, it says, you've been set free from sin. Does that mean when I come to Christ as my Savior, I never sin again? I wish that that's what God meant. If it did, I would feel really good about me. Let me ask you a question. When you came in today, did you come in feeling really good about you? I trust if you're an honest person, you didn't come in feeling as though you were the most godly person, that you were perfectly righteous of your own accord. You probably, when you look at you, you feel a little bit defeated. When I look at Christ and see who I really am through him, this is when I sense freedom. When, when Paul says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 18 that he set us free from sin, it's talking about setting us free from sin's mastery over us. Sin no longer has the right to rule you. The only time sin can rule you is when you give it permission. When you say, yeah, that affection for that thing that is contrary to the will of God, that affection, that will satisfy me. And so I imbibe in whatever that affection is that is contrary to the law of God. And at that point, I'm allowing sin to master me. But it has no right to do that. I give it permission to rule over me. Christ has set us free so we would be free from the mastery of sin. Sin no longer has the right to master us. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Fear of what? Well, in the context of Romans chapter 8, at the beginning of the chapter, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't have to fear condemnation. I don't have to fear separation from God. I don't have to fear any time that God will withhold his love from me. That's what it says in the end of the chapter, isn't it? 
There's, there's nothing in this life. There's not life, nor death, nor nothing. There's no angel, nor principality. There's nothing. There's not peril or sorrow. There's nothing that will separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, the Lord. Jesus has set me free, so free, that I never have to fear condemnation or separation from God. There is therefore now no condemnation. It's in Romans 8.1. I already mentioned it. And then in Hebrews 2.15, we mentioned this last week. Jesus' work has set me free from the bondage of fearing death. Now, let me think about this just for very briefly. Anyone in this room ever think, yeah, death, let's take it on? Not really. Like, none of us want to, like, bleed out, right? None of us want to be suffocated, drowned, burned in a fire. Like, the process of death is, you know, that, that could be a little bit fearful, right? That's not what Hebrews 2 is talking about, removing the bondage of death. It's what's on the other side of that death. It's after I breathe my last breath, is there a fear of what comes next? And the answer to that for those who are in Christ Jesus is no. Why would I fear being reunited, being united in in full form with the the God who loved me and loves me and the the Savior who gave his life for me? I would never fear that. That, That's the absolute crowning jewel of life is to be face-to-face with my Savior. And so in Hebrews 2.15, and to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage, bondage to the fear of death. And then you could add to this, the bondage of performance is removed. Will I, can I do enough to assuage God's wrath? Have you, heard, have you heard of the biblical term propitiation? You know what that word means? That God's wrath against my sin is settled. God's not angry with me. Why? Jesus paid it all. This is the glory of the gospel. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Removing the bondage of fear of death, the bondage of fear of condemnation, the the bondage of disapproval from God, the bondage of sin's mastery in my life. He's removed it. But there's also not just what I've been freed from, but think about it this way. Think about, about it positively, not that that wasn't positive, but, but what have I been freed unto? Freed for what? Well, let me just suggest a couple of things that God, Christ has set you free for to enjoy God. Christ has set you free to enjoy God. You don't have to sit back and think, oh man, I hope I don't mess up. Oh, I'm going to get the two by four across the forehead. Oh, God's going to really rain down the, the, the brimstone on me for this one. That's not how our relationship with Jesus is. It's not how our relationship with God is. He's removed that fear and condemnation. I'm, I'm united together with Christ, and therefore I'm perfect in the eyes of God. My relationship with him is solid. It's, it's not on tenuous ground. It's real. I can enjoy him. He set me free so I can understand God's boundless love. 
can understand the, the width and length and depth and height of the surpassing love of God, Ephesians 3. This is mine. This is mine because Christ has set me free for freedom. He's also set me free so I can obey him. Empowered by his spirit with a spirit of gratitude. It's like in 1 John chapter 5, he talks about the law of God. It's not grievous to us. I don't, I don't look at, at God telling me not to be an adulterer and think, so limiting, only one? When I, when I think about um, the Bible telling me not to steal from someone else, why not? They've got enough. I don't, I don't think that way. Do you? I don't, I don't want what's yours. If you want to give it to me, I'm, I'm all for taking it. I've got no problem with that. If you want to give me a million bucks, I would be glad to take it from you, and I will share it with other people, but I will first spend some of my own. Right? Like, I've got no problem if you want to give it to me, but I'm not going to take it from you. I don't have any interest in that whatsoever. I want to obey God. I want to do what he's told me to do. I don't, I don't want to run from it. It's a joy. Look at, look at what he's done. And, and, and I don't have to do it so he'll be happy with me. And I don't have to do it so he'll bless me. Oh, if, if I'm really obedient, God will pour wealth and riches my way. No. He's already given you the best gift. You don't need to earn anything else because you didn't earn the best gift. He set us free. And nextly, and, and this one we're going to expand on next week. Okay, so we're just going to touch on it here a couple of times this morning. He set me free to love others as a reflection of his love for me. He set me free to love others as a reflection of his love for me. This is important to this context of this passage, but we're going to develop that later. So he, he opens this chapter up. He's been, he's been convincing us that Jesus is enough. He's been convincing us that Jesus has removed the curse. He's been convincing us that there's only, it's only faith. We begin this, this, the Christian life by faith. We continue the Christian life by faith. We end the Christian life in faith. We have this expectation. We know that God has made us one with him. We know that we've received sonship. We know we're related to him. We know we have a, an inheritance that is coming our way because of Christ. He's setting us up for this. And then he, he opens up chapter 5 and says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Paul charges us to stand in this freedom. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I want to, to invite you to turn to Colossians. Just a couple of books to your right. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Take a look at Colossians chapter 1. Paul tells us that people, listen carefully to this, people can taste the gospel and move away from it. People can come under the hearing of the gospel and think, wow, that's that's really cool. That's really that's amazing. That's that's awesome. They can come under the hearing of the gospel and taste it and move away from it. Jesus said the same thing when he was talking about the parable of the sower. There's they, they, at first they hear it and, and, and with joy they receive it, and then when the, the difficulties of life come, the, the weeds come up and they choke it out and there's no life left. 
So there is something about tasting, but not enjoying. Tasting, but it not be abiding. Tasting, but it not saving. Paul warns of this in in 1 Corinthians 15, in the first couple of verses. He warns of it here in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, please. Colossians 1, 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If the sentence ended right there, you'd say, what are you talking about? But verse 23 is in the text. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith. If indeed you. You continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting, another version, not moving away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is, this is, this is gospel right here. You don't just nibble on the gospel, pray a prayer, and go on with life separated from the gospel. A life separated from the gospel, not lived in the gospel. Paul is telling you, you don't have anything to hang your hat on. You have nothing to stand on. Listen, I I don't look at my good deeds as the reason why I think, hmm, God has saved me because I do this and that and the other. I think, God has saved me because of Christ. And that is my mind, and that is my hope, and that is my glory, that is my faith. It's an active faith. It's not a faith of yesteryear. It's a faith of now. I trust Christ. And when we trust Christ, we're continuing in the gospel. We're not moving away from the gospel. And as a result, there's an evidence that there is a real enjoyment of the gospel in, in absolute participation in the gospel. What is the opposite of standing firm in Christ? Paul tells us back in Galatians 5.1, he says, do not submit again to a yoke of bondage. Do not submit again to a yoke of bondage. So with that in mind, I want to look at a text of scripture in the book of Acts. So you're taking a left in your Bibles, going back by Galatians, going through First and Second Corinthians, To the left, going through Romans, you're going to find the book of Acts chapter 15. So he says, do not submit again to a yoke of bondage. Why is he saying this? Christ has set you free for freedom. Stand firm in the freedom. Don't yield. Don't submit. Don't place yourself back under the bondage of the yoke of the law. And so we have a a touchstone for this back in the, the book of Acts chapter 15. A few different verses we'll, we'll navigate through, beginning in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, do we, does everyone know what circumcision is? Can I just, okay, you know what circumcision is? Male organs, foreskin, do we have to talk about it anymore? Excellent. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, what is this about? Well, that, that operation, that procedure was to mark out God's chosen people. 
and it was a sign of their faith. Now, of course, an eight-day-old can't really exercise faith, so it was a sign of the faith community, correct? We understand that back in, in the book of Genesis and all through the Old Testament. When Jesus came and, and released us from these forms, to, to head back is to head back into bondage. And so there's a group of people in Acts 15 that are saying, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. This is a real problem, right? Verse 2, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Okay, so, hey, we're not just going to leave it here. We're going to actually address this. Go down to verse 5. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Did you notice... He doesn't stop at circumcision. That's just the entryway. To be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses. Verse 6. The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Now at verse 10, please. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. How, how, how insightful and honest is that? Here we've been thousands of years trying to keep the law. And you know what we have found out? It's too heavy. It makes us weary and weak and crushed and we can't get the job done. Verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of of our Lord Jesus. We will be saved through the grace, the the gift, the freedom that comes through Christ, just as they will. Gentiles and Jews, we are all saved the same way. How is that? By the gracious gift of Jesus Christ who bore our condemnation, he bore our sin, he bore the wrath of God against our sin, he he was the sin-canceling sacrifice. He was buried and he rose again triumphant over it. This is the reason we know we're saved. It's because of Christ, not some external form. Christ has set us free. Stand in that freedom. Don't submit to a yoke. Of bondage. Jesus talked about this. Did you know that? He said this in Matthew 11. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find what? Toil? Weariness? Exertion? No, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You can tell when you're under pressure. You can feel it. Can you feel it when you're starting to get stressed? I don't know what peaks your stress levels, whether it's the road, the people on the road and driving and all that stuff, or it's a lot of noise in a small house. You can feel You can feel stress welling up. You can feel when you are under pressure to perform. And Jesus said, stop that. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm going to give you rest. 
you also can tell when you are at ease. We all go through periods in our lives where we're, we're at stress levels and we're at ease. And uh, I was so thankful <clears throat> to this church for allowing our family to go away for a period of time. It took several days to finally have the stress level. It, I could actually tangibly feeling it slowly over days just going away. You know when you're at stress levels and you're, you're striving to get something done. It's never, it's never peaceful. And you know when you're at ease. You know when you actually have experienced true rest. And this is what Jesus offers to his people. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I'm meek. I'm lowly in, in heart or in spirit. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. You will find rest for your souls. Let me ask you a question. Does your relationship with God give you stress or joy? A relationship with God based upon Christ brings this refreshing joy into our lives. I can't answer it for you. You might look great and happy on the outside and you might be burning up on the inside. You might be so stressed out and not knowing what's happening. You might be thinking, oh, God's going to really bring the hammer down soon. I just can feel it. it's coming. I don't know what's going inside of, on inside of you. Only you can know. In your relationship with God, you have joy or stress. Jesus said, I've, I've come and I've, I've removed that need for spiritual stress. Christ has freed us, has freed you, in order to give you freedom in your relationship with God. The second question of one particular catechism is what is the chief end of man? The answer to that question is the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I want to ask you if you're enjoying him. Back to Galatians 5. This, this is the question at the start. Christ has freed us. He set us free to have freedom. And that freedom produces a joy in God. We enjoy him. We, we think of the, un, the unquenchable love of God. So many scripture passages are running through my mind right now. But I want you to think about Psalm 139. It's, a, it's an awesome psalm. It has four stanzas. The first stanza has to, know, has to do with God's omniscience. He knows everything about you. Before you have a word about to come out of that little thing in your mouth, the tongue, before it even is about to come out, he already knows the thought. God is everywhere present in the next stanza. We could run from God all we wanted to. If I take the wings of the morning, it talks about the, 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 the rays of the sun. How fast do the rays of the sun move? The speed of light. There it goes. If you can move that fast, guess what? There God is. If I make my, my, my bed in the grave, he's there. If I ascend up into heaven, he's there. This, this is just amazing. This, this God is, is phenomenal. It, it talks about his, his power as well. It talks about how he knew us when we were in our embryonic stage in our mother's womb. And he was, he was knowing us as our bodies 
and our skeletons were formed in our mother's wombs. God knows us from the end of the beginning. He knows all of our days before there's ever one of them. This is our God. And, and then he says, how great are his thoughts toward me. If I should number them, they would be more in number than the sand of the seashore. And he says something weird next. He says, when I awake, I'm still with him. My best stab at it is God knows everything about you. He knows your inside motives and everything. He knows you, knows you, knows you, knows you. Thinks about you, commensurate with the number of sand on the seashore, and he hasn't taken your life away from you. In fact, he's given you life. Wouldn't you want to enjoy that, God? Wouldn't you want to get down on your knees and say, God, you're everything. There's nothing better than you. Why would I ever allow the the passions of my heart, the allurement of the world, anything else, why would I ever let that take me away from you? Christ has made you free so you can be free to worship and enjoy God rather than looking at him as an ogre who just wants to squash you and ruin your joy. There is no greater joy than to know Jesus Christ. He set us free. Stand in that freedom. There's a second very important point in this text. Understand the dangers of working for righteousness. Understand the dangers of working for righteousness. He gives us three warnings, one in verse 2, one in verse 3, and one in verse 4. The first one involves verse 4 as well. The first warning is this. Christ will be of no advantage to you. So let, let's look at the text rather than just going through the points here. Verse 2, Galatians 5.2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... That doesn't mean if you are circumcised. The context here is if you accept circumcision as a way of gaining some measure of favor from God, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to everyone who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Whoa, you ready for this? You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So this is some serious warning going on here. First of all, Christ, if we, if we allow works-based religion, whether it be circumcision or anything else that we do to gain God's approval, to gain God's pleasure, to gain a status with God, if, there's any, if we think we can work toward heaven... And God's pleasure. We have a real problem. The first is this. Christ will be of no advantage to you. Circumcision is just the illustration of a larger issue. If you think you can perform and bring pleasure to God, you're missing the gospel. Christ has done it all. You hear that? Christ has done it all. You guys love theological terms, right? Just say yes. Humor me. Past tense present tense, future tense of our salvation. Do you know what they are? Past tense, you have been justified. Present tense, you are being, by God, sanctified. Future tense, you will be, by God, glorified. God does all of them, right? It's, it's, they're all a work of God. 
if you think that you can do something to, to accomplish any one of these three things, you've missed the gospel entirely. Christ has done it all from stem to stern, from start to finish. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. How serious is this warning of Christ being of no advantage? Well, in verse 4, he, he brings the, the heat. You heard at the beginning, you are severed from Christ. <laughs> Chopped off. In John chapter 15, Jesus talks about this, doesn't he? He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. How would we do severed from Christ? Not well. Nothing spiritual will take place. Nothing of fruitful value will take place. Christ will be of no advantage to you if you think you can gain merit with God by your own actions. A second warning in verse 3, you are obligated to be perfect. That's bad news. (laughs) Verse 3. He says, I testify again to every man, any man, every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. How serious is this charge? Well, in Hebrews chapter 2, we're we're told this. Therefore, we must pay uh, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it, what we've heard. What have we heard? We've heard the gospel. We've heard that Jesus has come. If we drift away from it, we have real problems. Verse 2, for since the message declared by angels, it's a reference to the law, proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, what does that tell you? If you are a law keeper, if the law is your basis of your eternal life, anytime you sin, the law is going to bring the hammer. There are no gray areas. Hexagon falls off, game over. The law is unbending. It's unyielding. It doesn't stop. One of the commandments of Scripture relates to obeying the laws of the land. So here, you ready? Here's an application of this. The laws of the land. Well, well what's the laws of the land? Well, I mean, do you ever drive? There are these funny-looking signs on the side of the road that are usually white with black edges. I don't know. There's some numbers in them. You know what those are? What, is that called a speed limit? You ever violate that? You violate the law of the land? Alrighty. This, now I'm serious, like super serious. You see one of these things? You have one? You ever driving down the street? And you pull that baby out? You see people doing it all the time, right? How about you? You ever do that? It's a violation of the law of the land. You, you ever avoid taxes? You ever steal from someone? Hmm. Well, those are, those are pretty, pretty nasty things. Uh, join me in looking at the first book in the New Testament, Matthew, please. Matthew 5. Hold your hand here because we're going to come right back. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus, oh, Jesus, he, he is um, the master teacher. Now, he's far more than that, but he is also a master teacher. And Jesus talks to us about the law. And he doesn't say, hey, listen, don't worry about it. Well, it's not a big deal. You got this thing licked. 
What Jesus does with the law is he says, all right, you've heard it said. But if you just follow on that one plane of what's said, you're missing the point. What's said, I want to say to you differently so you can understand its application. So Jesus expands the law, strengthens the law, makes the law more permeating into our lives. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So you think, good there, haven't killed anyone yet, right? Everyone feels good, everyone, I hope. Don't raise your hand, I don't want to know. You you feel like, all right, everything's good, I haven't killed anyone. But Jesus makes it more invasive. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with, oh no, what? What? Did you say anyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment? Well, that's what you just said about the murderer. Oh, oh, come on. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council? Oh, come on. Whoever says you fool will be liable of hellfire? You mean like if I just say to my son, you're just a dummy. You mean I'm liable to hellfire? And you, I say to my wife, hey, you don't know what you're talking about, woman. I wouldn't say that. Either one of those, at least I hope. Um, but let, let's say I did. You know, you're driving down the street, and that person cuts you off, and you're angry. And you think, oh, it's not that big a deal. Jesus just said it's the same as killing someone. You know what this means, right? Is it in the right direction? L- loser? Yeah. I failed. Hexagon falls off. Game over. It goes on in verse 23. So if you have... You are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go first. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Do you think he's talking to us about this? Yes, he is. Don't take the commands of scripture so lightly. If you have an offense with someone else, don't say, well, I'll just avoid them. I don't need to see them ever again. I don't need to talk to them. That's, that's ungodly. That's the same as murder. Jesus told you the law permeates our lives far more than we give it credit for. Which is why we say that the law can never be our basis of salvation. I would never make it. it it's too invasive. It's too difficult. Even on its surface, it's hard. Never mind as you start to apply it out in your life. Remember what Jesus did to the rich young ruler? Oh, you've kept all the commandments, eh? Ho, 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 ho. You remember that little one about love your neighbor as yourself? Remember that one? Go sell everything and go give it to your neighbor. This, this is, you know, the, the, the three-year-old uh, drooping shoulder syndrome. Oh. Hey, he came here kind of happy and he left kind of sad. What happened? He learned the truth of the law. The law is, is, is pervasive and it absolutely dominates us. And James warns us. He says, for... Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Whoa. So if I violate the speed limit, I killed someone. I coveted my neighbor's wife. That's what he just said. Guilty of it all. And what's so breathtaking is that Jesus became sin for us. He he violated everything. When he was attributed with my sin, he became guilty of the whole thing. He became sin for me, even though he knew no sin. 
Why? So I might become the righteousness of God in him. Why? Why do I want to seek righteousness any other way? There are people every day that do it. Maybe even we struggle ourselves from time to time. Go back to Galatians 5. There's a third warning. It's at the end of verse 4. If you've chosen works-based religion to gain merit with God, you have chosen a pathway, pathway contrary to and absent of grace. Friends, you can't have it both ways. Verse 4, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Picture it this way. Now, picture, I was going to try to get some some actual items here to, 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 to illustrate this, but I didn't. Picture you've got fishing line. Have you ever seen fishing line break? Yes, you have. And you've got a thick nylon rope, okay? And I want you to think about twisting them together. That this thing, okay, you're pulling up. You get your foot on the wall, and you've got your hands on the fishing line slash thick nylon rope. And we're going to call the fishing line works-based religion, and we're going to call the nylon rope Christ. Here you are, and you're trying to do the both. And if you try to do the both, guess what happens? It says you're severed from Christ. And so now instead of pulling yourself up this wall with the both, you're now pulling yourself up with the one, which is what? Fishing line. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried this like, and wrapped it around your hand and tried to do something. That hurts like nobody's business, right? Now, I want it, you, all your weight is on this baby, and you're pulling, and guess what? Ah, you're, you're toast. That thing's not going to hold you up. First, it's going to tear your hand up, and then you're going to fall to your death. It's not going to work. This is how serious this warning is. You can't mingle the gospel and works. They don't work together. They are in opposition to one another. The law of God is not in opposition to the gospel. The law of God points me to the gospel. And the law of God is the outworking of the gospel. But my trying to gain God's merits, God's pleasure, God's, God's acceptance by the law of God is in absolute competition with the gospel. And it provides me no grace. It can't, it won't. Paul's already told us this in Galatians 2. Look at there, Galatians 2.20. We'll wrap this up in just a minute. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify or set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Do you hear that? That that is a resounding statement to tell us. If you think you can add something to what Christ has done, you nullify Christ, you frustrate Christ's work, you set aside Christ's work, and you're on your own. If works are sufficient, then Christ died for no reason. And that's what he tells us back here in, in Galatians 5. You're severed from Christ. You've chosen another way. You've been cut off. And you've fallen away from the gracious pathway. These uh, three verses, 2, 3, and 4, 
Paul is reiterating his charge to stand firm in the gospel, which frees us to rejoice in God only through Jesus Christ. So as he comes to verses 5 and 6, a very clear outworking and a clear finale for us this morning, stand in faith, confident of Christ's righteousness. You hear that? Stand in faith, confident of Christ's, not our, righteousness. Verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Listen carefully to what he says now. Paul uses a part of speech known as, you ready? A dative of means. <laughs> through the Spirit. That means that the Spirit is the instrument through which faith is brought forth and produces this eager waiting for righteousness. Eager waiting for righteousness? Well, I've got to do that righteousness. No, that's exactly the point. Through the Spirit, by faith, faith enacts the Spirit, the Spirit brings forth this fruit of a, of a, a hungering inside of us, a thirst inside of us, and, and, a, and a, a, a sweet confidence that we eagerly await the hope the confident assurance of righteousness. Those who seek righteousness by their own effort have departed from grace, in verse 4. But believers, by the power of the Spirit, enjoyed by faith, seek a righteousness from God. We eagerly wait for the hope. Now, Paul stated elsewhere, in 1 Thessalonians 3.13, he says, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. In other words, when, when Jesus comes the finality of my righteousness will be, it'll be finished. I will receive the reward, the crown of righteousness. It'll be done. John, in the book of Revelation, illustrates it in two different places. In Revelation 7, he says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. He was talking about the saints in heaven and they're clothed with white robes. In chapter 19 he says this, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following on him on white horses. And we know that those white linens, those white robes are the righteousness granted to the saints by Christ. Are you looking forward to the day when God's work of purification is completed? Are you longing for the day that you will no longer be swayed by the influence of your flesh? This hunger and thirst after righteousness is a work of the Spirit. And it's not about external standards. In verse 6 it says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. In other words, like you can be circumcised or you can be uncircumcised and that doesn't change anything. Like, being circumcised doesn't nullify the things of Christ. It just doesn't add to them. It has no advantage. It's not about the externals. It's about what God is doing. In verse 6 it says, it's not about circumcision or uncircumcision. It doesn't count for anything, but only faith working through love. When faith in Christ grips our lives, 
we are blown away by God's love for us. And the Spirit produces a work of love in our lives. Active faith in God through the gospel always produces love. We'll see that in verse 13 of this this chapter next week and in verse 22 in weeks to come. The call in this passage is to stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The alternative is to choose another way. Any other way leads to being severed from Christ and walking away from the grace offered in the gospel. And we will fall short of God's righteous standard. Jesus has done it all. He has lived a righteous life that he willingly gave as a sin-canceling sacrifice. When he died, was buried, and rose again. The only way not to have the game six end with the hexagon falling to the side is to not mess with it. The only way to experience the benefits of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to not mess with it, but instead trust him completely to your eternal salvation. Do you trust him? Do you sense the spirit of God within you giving you a peace and a joy and an enjoyment of God? Or is there some striving within you to do something, something that will finally attain God's pleasure? No. Jesus is the pleasure of God. And if you know him, if you've you've been united together with him, he's that pleasure of God in you. And so you stand in perfect union with him. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for each one, myself included, that we would not allow anything to be in competition with the gospel that we would yield ourselves fully to you and allow you your work in us. We pray that you would build faith, strengthen our faith, that we would stand firm on the rock of Jesus Christ and never be wavering, that we would turn our affection and our gaze upon him and not upon anything else. I pray for anyone in this room that's never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, They stand in in condemnation where they are. I pray that you would open their eyes to see that Jesus has done enough and that nothing has stopped your love from providing what's necessary for their eternal salvation. May they call upon Jesus Christ as their Savior today and have life forevermore and enjoy this peace, joy, and freedom that Jesus offers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.